So we're looking at Luke 24, 13 through 35. Words will be up there on your screen. The whole thing. Now I have to find it on this one. Luke 24, starting at verse 13. So, uh, this is Luke's sort of continuation of the story of the resurrection of Jesus since, since last week was Easter. Um, we jump over to Luke. Uh, the women had gone to the tomb with their spices. Uh, they noticed that the stone was rolled away. Uh, two dudes dressed in lightning robes showed up. Um, and we're like, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. Um, they're like, what in the world? They fall down on their faces. And um, then they go back and they tell some other people. And Peter goes and he looks and yeah, the, sure enough, the stone is rolled away and Jesus' body is gone, right? They're like, whoa, what happened? That, that happened right before what we're about to read. But before we do, let's pray. God, speak to us through your word, um, through, this, through, through this story. Uh, we ask that, that your spirit would reveal some things to us in that in that process, you would do whatever it is that you need to do in us. And we just trust you with that. So open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that same day, so we're talking late afternoon, early evening-ish, two of them, so these are followers of Jesus, were presumably leaving Jerusalem, Sorry, I'm adding. I'm not supposed to do that, right? Anyone who adds to these? Anyway. Um, So two followers of Jesus, presumably they're leaving Jerusalem. They were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He, they're talking to him. I think that's hilarious. So much about this story that's fantastic. About Jesus. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels. Those are the lightning robe people. Of angels who said he was alive. (laughs) Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish are you and how slow to believe that all all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? 
and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I don't know why, but that's one of my, that's, that's a favorite of mine, that story right there. Um, just because I think it's, it's brilliantly written. Um, and uh, yeah, just the way that it, it's, it's all put together. Luke is, is clearly trying to get us to, to really enter into this story. And I think one of, one of the best ways for us to, and I've said this to you all, you know, uh, lots of different times, but I just want to remind you, I think one of the best things, one of the best ways to understand stories like this is to just sort of retell them, uh, to retell them with as many of the details as, as we possibly can, while also using our imaginations. And I think it's important that we use our imaginations, because I think there are places in this story that that Luke is inviting us to use our imaginations, to use our feelings, to use our emotions, to sort of fill in the gaps uh, that Luke intentionally leaves there for us. It's almost like having a conversation with, with what you're reading, treating it as if it's alive, asking it all sorts of questions. What are the people in the story feeling? What are they going through? What are they experiencing emotionally? What are they seeing? What are they not seeing? What are they hearing? What are they not hearing? Do they have all the information they need? How do they evolve, change? How are they transformed from the beginning of the story to the end of the story? If there is an evolution there, if there is a transformation, what is the thing that caused it? What is the thing that, that made that actually happen. When you retell a story like this, I think, and when you use your imagination, sometimes things that seem hidden become revealed, and it's a fun thing to do. So we're just going to walk through the story. Uh, I'm going to retell it. I'm going to use, let's use our imaginations, picture it, feel it. I'll ask some questions. I'll make some comments about it, and we can all sing and go home. Does that sound like a good idea? So it starts like this. Now that same day, two of them we're leaving Jerusalem, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, so it's a pretty good hike. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Everything that had happened, that right there is about as loaded as four words can be. Everything that had happened. So it was Sunday. We know this. It's the afternoon of the resurrection. These two followers of Jesus had heard from some of the women that the body of Jesus 
was missing and that angels had shown up and told them that he wasn't dead, he was alive. Right? Some of their friends had also gone to the tomb and found that Jesus wasn't there. They were thinking probably his body was stolen. Maybe. They're not quite sure. But alive? You've got to be kidding me. Alive? Now that's a hard thing to believe. It's a hard thing to believe because they were there the week before. They were witness. They were witnesses to all of the events that happened the week before. They saw everything that happened to Jesus. So that means they heard the crowds calling for his execution. They saw their nonviolent, loving teacher. They saw him mocked, beaten, flogged to a bloody mess. It wasn't pretty. They saw him robed in purple. They saw him then stripped naked. They may have even been there when they pressed that crown of thorns down into his head. They saw him crucified. They saw him die. They saw him breathe his last breath. He was dead. They saw it all. The cross, it's a final thing. He's gone. And as they walked down the road, they talked about everything that had happened. They were talking about all of that, remembering it, rehearsing it, as painful as it was. And Luke tells us that they tell Jesus that they had hoped He was the one. So this, all of this is going on inside. They had hoped He was the one who, re, who would redeem Israel. They had hoped that He was the one they were all waiting for. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the one who would come and rescue them, his, their deliverer. And he seemed so different from all the others who were claiming to be the Messiah, who were claiming to be the Christ, the one. There was something about him that drew crowds. They were talking about everything that had happened, all of this. There was something about his teaching that drew crowds, something about his touch that healed people. There was something about his love that crossed every imaginable boundary. When, when they were in His presence, it almost seemed like power, this sort of different sort of power just oozed from His pores. Not in a forceful, domineering kind of a way. Not an in-your-face kind of a power, but an invitational kind of power. Almost magnetic, like you just had to be around this guy. You were drawn to Him. You couldn't help yourself. So they were hoping that he was the one who would redeem Israel. If anyone could do it, this guy could do it. He could mobilize thousands if he wanted. They saw it happen. He could mobilize tens of thousands if he wanted to. Right? He could take Israel back from Roman occupation. He had that kind of charisma, but he didn't do it. Instead, he let himself get arrested and he let himself get killed. And for these two followers of Jesus, and many more like them, the hope, the hope that they had, the hope that they had while Jesus walked on this earth, it just died with them. It's gone. No more hope. They, had they were talking about everything that had happened. That's what they were talking about. Now, question. What were they feeling? What were they feeling? Like, 
this is, I think this is a point in the story where, where it's good for us to just use our imaginations, to think about it, to wonder, to feel along with them. I think Luke wants us to feel alongside of them. How were they feeling? You could probably come up with all sorts of different things that they were probably feeling, but here's a little bit about what I think. I think they felt trapped. I think they felt stuck. I mean, they had so much hope they could begin to imagine a new future with Jesus being the leader, the king, the Messiah, the anointed one. They could, they could imagine liberation from a, from a foreign occupying army. And they had so much hope, but now it was gone. So now they feel trapped. They're stuck. What's next? Don't you think they would have felt stuck, trapped? Like they were trying to escape Jerusalem. They're like, we got to get out of here because we're stuck. We got to go to this place called Emmaus, right? So they were trying to escape, but they couldn't escape it because they were talking about everything that had happened. They still felt trapped, trapped by their preconceived notions of what, of what the Messiah was supposed to be. They were trapped, stuck in their grief, stuck in their old ways of thinking. We all know what it feels like to be trapped. To be, to be stuck, to not know what the next step is, trapped by our own grief, trapped in empty relationships, trapped in a job that brings no fulfillment, trapped by depression, trapped by sickness, stuck in loneliness, stuck in this lure of wealth we just can't get enough, trapped by the fear of tomorrow, trapped trapped by the fear of making the wrong decision about what to do next, trapped by other people's expectations of us and how our lives are supposed to be. Have you ever felt stuck, trapped? Like you just don't know how to take the next step because of that thing that happened and you don't know where to go? That's how they felt, trapped. And maybe that's why they didn't recognize Jesus. Right? Luke tells us that Jesus himself walked up next to them. Jesus walked up next to them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Right? That trapped feeling has a way of doing that to you, doesn't it? It can make you feel like a caged animal, like it distorts reality. That trapped feeling has a way of, of preventing us from seeing reality for what it is, and from understanding and seeing the truth. It does it to us all the time. Maybe that's why, maybe that's how most of us walk around, live out our days. We walk around with the presence of God with us all the time. And we don't recognize it. Maybe it was that trap feeling that kept them from recognizing Jesus. Or think about this. Luke tells us they were kept from recognizing Jesus. They didn't, rec they didn't recognize the divine because they were kept. Did God do it? Did God keep them from recognizing Jesus? Or maybe Jesus, the embodiment of the divine, maybe He wore a robe with a big hood on it so that they couldn't see Him, so they couldn't recognize that it was Him. Maybe, maybe Jesus did it. All I know is that Jesus didn't go out of his way to help them recognize that it was actually him. He simply walks up to them and is like, what's up, guys? What are you talking about? What's going on? And they were, they're like, are you a visitor? 
Don't you know what's happened in Jerusalem? Are you dense? You don't know the things that happen? He's like, what things? What are you talking about? Tell me. So they tell him about it. And hearing what they describe, he says, why are you so foolish? Didn't you know that the Messiah was supposed to suffer like this before he went to his glory? Then he gives them this long theological lesson. Wouldn't you love to be there for this one? Like this long theological lesson explaining it all from the Scriptures, starting with Moses and running all through the prophets. What did he say? I want to know. That's a sermon I need to hear. Right? And then so he shows them in Scripture. And by the time they arrive, by the time he's done, they arrive in Emmaus. And then Jesus pretends like he's moving on. But they're like, dude, it's late. Why don't you come have a meal with us? And then, and then, it's at dinner, around the table, the place of welcome, the place where everybody's seated at the same level. It's there that they recognize that it's him. Their eyes are opened, and they know it's Jesus. <laughs> That's the story. That's what we got. And it raises all kinds of questions. Too many questions for us to deal with this morning, right? But here's one. Why did Jesus wait so long to reveal himself? Why? Luke tells this story so that we'll speculate, so that we'll think about it, so that we'll use our imaginations. And it's okay to do so. Why did he keep his identity hidden? Do you ever feel like God keeps God's identity hidden from you? You're like, I didn't know you were there. Why does Jesus keep himself hidden? hidden, right? What was it about the meal that opened their eyes, that made them understand? Luke's like, ask good questions and then try to answer them and have fun with it. That's what these stories are here for. So a few thoughts. Maybe Jesus keeps himself hidden so that they'll keep searching, so that they'll keep longing, so that they'll keep, so that they'll keep sort of wondering, so that they'll keep thinking about it, so that he keeps their attention. Right? And this seems to be so Jesus. Read the Gospel of Mark. Right? He'll heal somebody, and he'll be like, hey, don't tell anybody about this. Like, Are you kidding me? You just gave me my life back. Like, I was thinking I was going to be dead in a year or less. Now I'm healed, and you don't want me to say anything about it. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Shh. Keep it a secret. This, this was his style of teaching, too, right? We've talked about this before, but he teaches in parables. And parables are like these, these stories that make you think. They make you wonder. They make you, they make you think that there's something hidden just underneath the surface, that there's more to the story that he's telling us, right? They make you ask, what does he mean? What's that about? And then there are these lines in there that some people have eyes to see and ears to hear. Some people understand it. Some people don't understand it. He said other things that seem to defy all kinds of logic and are like the opposite way of the way in which the world works. Things like love your enemies. What? Faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. He talked about himself in cryptic weird ways too. He's like, I am living water. I am the vine. I am the bread of life. Like all these things make you go, what? Huh? Right? They kind of poke at you. 
They make you wonder, make you think in different ways. They make you search. They make you probe. It's how he taught. Maybe he keeps himself hidden because he wants to keep their attention. He doesn't give it black and white. He doesn't make it simple and easy. He doesn't bring out a list and say, just believe all these things and your life will be great and wonderful and awesome. No, he's cryptic. He tells these stories so that we'll keep searching, so that we'll keep longing, so that we'll keep going, so that we'll keep asking the question, who is this guy? Maybe that's why he keeps himself hidden from us, so that we'll keep searching, so we'll keep probing, so we'll keep wondering, so that we'll keep asking questions. Or maybe he keeps himself hidden because he's not going to force this thing. He's not going to force them to believe. Right? He doesn't force the issue. There's no coercion going on here. He doesn't say, hey guys, it's me, Jesus. He just engages them so that they'll come along, but he doesn't force it. In fact, he's almost invitational. He asks them questions. Hey guys, what you talking about? What's going on? He's invitational. He asks them questions, inviting them to respond. He's always been invitational. He's always said things like this. Here's some direct quotes from him. Come, follow me. It's an invitation. Come, follow me. Another time he said, come, come and see. Another time he says, come, I have something to show you. Come, I have something to tell you. Let's go to Jerusalem. Let the little children come to me invitational, always. Even simply looking at the universe. Think about this one. Just looking at the universe, right, which was made through him, the Bible says. It has a way of sort of sparking an innate curiosity within us, doesn't it? Gets us asking questions about what's beyond it all, what's behind it all, what's beneath it all. How did this all happen? Gets us asking questions about the divine. We look at our world, everything in it, and everything that's beyond it, and we're just blown away, right? When we begin to understand that, that the world is just as expansive on the microscopic level as it is on the macro level, we're like, oh my goodness. Right? The universe itself seems to be God's invitation for us to believe, to search, to wonder, to have faith, to respond to God in relationship. Maybe Jesus keeps himself hidden because he's not going to force them to believe any more than he's going to force us to believe, but he just keeps inviting. I like that. Or maybe he keeps himself hidden so that when they finally get it, they get it right. Think about it. They're his close, they're close followers. He's talking to them. His voice isn't enough for them to see that it's him. His long drawn out explanation from scripture, starting with Moses, through the prophets, even that wasn't enough for them to see that it was him. Their burning hearts weren't enough for them to see that it was him. So they're hearing his voice. They're knowing the scriptures. They're burning emotions. None of that was enough for them to, to see that it was Jesus. How was he revealed? This is the greatest part of this story. And it's so freaking cool. Luke tells us when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks for it. He broke it and he began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared. 
that's so cool. It wasn't until they sat at the table, he took bread, he blessed it, gave thanks for it, he blessed it, he broke it, and gave it to them. They didn't get it until the blessing, the breaking, the giving, the blessing, the breaking, the giving, and then it was clear to them. It's Jesus, of course. Blessing, breaking, giving. That's how he just lived his life. So, of course, the blessing, the breaking, the giving would reveal Jesus. What's blessing you right now? What's, what's giving you life, energy? What gets you going? What is it in your life that's blessing you right now? Think of it. Dare we say that's Jesus? Dare we say that comes from the divine? Dare we say that? Has someone sacrificed something breaking for you recently? Done something, you're like, I can't believe they would sacrifice that for me. Dare we say that's the presence of the divine being revealed to you? Somebody give you something recently? Or maybe you were compelled to give of yourself? Just think of the way that made you feel. Dare we say that's the revealing of Jesus in your life? I think we can. Jesus is revealed in the blessing, the breaking, the giving. And I think for us as Jesus people, this has powerful implications for us. Jason, I was talking to you about, about being cynical, right? This is that part. Okay, I'm going to be a little cynical a little bit. I think this has power, the blessing, the breaking, the giving, the blessing, the breaking. This has powerful implications for us Jesus people as we try our best to allow God to form us into the presence of Jesus. Right? We are called the body of Christ, people who reveal Jesus to the world. The revealing of Jesus happens through the blessing, the breaking, and the giving, here's a question, and my cynicism pouring out of me, is that how the world sees Jesus' people? People who bless, sacrifice, and give. People just do it all the time. It's like they're identifying marks. It's who they are to their core. Is that how the world sees Jesus' people? No. Not at all. Instead of being seen as welcoming, inviting, inviting others into a more sort of gracious, loving way of life, the world sees us as, as people who are sort of stuck in the past. Like high anxiety, judgmental people who force a more rigid and archaic way of life, lifestyle on the rest of the world. And when followers of Jesus, when we don't get our way, we get angry and all self-righteous about it. I mean, instead of giving life and giving freedom and liberation to the world, we 
we take people's rights away. Let's be honest about it. We're part of a, we're part of a people who've done lots of things to earn that re- reputation. I mean, we, we attempt coups and insurrections and stuff like that. We turn to violence and force. All the things we just said Jesus didn't do. Is that how, we, is that how Jesus is revealed to the world? Well, no, of course not. I mean, it, this, could it be more simple than this? I mean, let's break it down to the simplicity of it. Breaking. Blessing. Breaking. Giving. That's how Jesus is revealed. There's got to be a better way. Maybe it's like walking alongside of someone who is, who is hurting. It doesn't matter what their religious beliefs are. Like sharing a meal and a, and a table of friendship with people who don't necessarily believe the same things that we believe about all sorts of different issues. Maybe we, we reveal Jesus simply through blessing. Simply by giving life. Maybe we reveal Jesus through breaking, through the self-sacrificing of our own lives for others. Maybe we reveal Jesus through giving without any expectation of receiving anything in return. We're just talking about living our, our regular lives. right? Our regular lives every day. In the salon, at the mechanic, in Hy-Vee, on our front lawns, in the office, around your table, in the halls at school, on the streets downtown, in a bar, in Chick-fil-A, maybe especially in Chick-fil-A. If you show a different way, it would be our pleasure constant dance by followers of Jesus to the rhythm of blessing, breaking, giving, blessing, breaking, giving. After all, that's likely how we all came to know Jesus, right? We know Jesus because he was revealed to us through other people's blessing, breaking, and giving of themselves to us. And now it's my turn. Now it's your turn. It's our turn together as a people. The only question is, will we take our turn? It's our time for that. Will we do it? Let's pray.